Hello, welcome to CarCast. I'm Matt, the Motorator DeAndre, here with Bill Goldberg. How are you doing? Well, there's a giraffe. <laughs> you got the... Uh... So, not much sleep. My wife has less sleep, and I'm kicked down at the bottom of the list. <laughs> so that, that's where I am. Uh, I, I failed to tell you that prior. Uh, uh, there was a deer in your garage a minute ago, just wandering around wasn't in the garage he was in the perimeter you know because the fence is, the electric fence isn't on because i'm in here and i usually don't uh let's do a quick shout out for the goldberg's garage youtube channel um uh you know i i i would say uh on behalf of both of us um Thanks for for tuning in on that the 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 garage video which you, I know you've been waiting four years to post the walk around and it was just a, a a casual informal like let's test video let's just do a quick show the garage and what's in there um, is uh, a million views so far and uh, the, there's cool stuff in the garage but you know I, if I would make a suggestion I wouldn't mind seeing a short video of you just doing a quick walk around of the garage itself. Just, uh, just look at the outside. What is it? What does it look like now? There are sixteen garage doors and a wash bay, and and I know you maybe your guys can cut in some of the uh, drone footage that you 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 did. Um, but yeah, mostly you walked around. Uh, you know the 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 cars. You didn't do the bikes yet. And if you looked at the comments, there's there's questions about the bikes, which you'll get to. Um, but I am kind of curious to see the lay of the land, like how did the staircase come out and your office and your podcast studio and, uh, you know, the lifts kind of laid out and it's, it's, it, you know, I, it seems like, yeah, yeah, you could just walk around. It's going to take three minutes, but it's not, it's going to be more than that. Like, cause there is a, something pretty amazing with the garage and there's stories. We've had four years of stories of the garage. So I, before you. I mean, you're going to get into all the individual cars and stuff. Plenty of time for that, uh, and and the walk around was good. Uh, but I'd I'd be I'd like to see, and I still haven't been out there yet. So I've seen what everybody else have seen, you know, other than a few f- photos, texting back and forth. And, I've got you know. some unbelievable build footage over the past three years that I'm going to compile. And thank you so much. You should be my new creator, editor, whatever. Um, writer, you might, you should be my new writer. But um, yeah, man, in thinking about that, I, I, I believe that's the next episode. I mean, there's I, drone I footage, there's uh, uh, the time-lapse footage, um, and then there's sort of the final product that you can walk around and, and describe to us. You can narrate to us like what it is. Uh, anyway, because I, I, I want to see it. I mean, first of all, it, I mean, it turned out amazing, but also from scratch. So it was just like, you know, we've been hearing the stories of like what's working, what's not working and the, the debacle with garage stores and, and lighting and this and that. And, and, you know, the HVAC unit, that's the size of a Dodge Ram. And it just like, it's like, there's a lot going on there. So it'd be cool to kind of see now that you've, 
got a breath going and you know, take a breath and see the garage and putting stuff in there and shit's going to get moved around from time to time. You're going to be like, you know what? We set up a station here. We decided to move it someplace else or it's just a little more accessible. And I mean, even just little stuff like in my garage, I've moved the toolbox around a few times because I'm realizing hanging your first picture, hanging my first neon. I still haven't done that shit. And that's terrifying. <laughs> Completely, You saw how long it took me to do my office, right? You know, yeah. Yeah, just those little tiny things are huge tasks. So I think they're entertaining to uh, have the the audience sit along and and watch, man. And I'm very appreciative. You mentioned it a million views on that one video and a lot of followers. You know, uh, thanks for sticking with me for uh, the period of time that you did. Um, I think the interest shows at how many people I pissed off over the last three years (laughs) explaining it. But now, hopefully, you guys will. be entertained because it's it's all I can say is buckle your seatbelt because you're in for a wild ride. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, so uh, it's it's on YouTube as we said. Just subscribe to Goldberg's Garage if you wouldn't mind, and that way you'll get the alerts. Because right now there's let here's the truth. There's no real like rhythm on videos being created and being posted so we can't say yet hey every tuesday you're going to get something new at some point something will get figured out but there's still this big learning curve and and kind of figuring out how it's going to happen so if you subscribe then you'll get the notifications of when shit will get posted but in the meantime just be patient and let's just say that was the biggest understatement you've ever (laughs) because yes it's it's an arduous task i mean getting all these people together and trying to come up with something that you think everybody will be entertained with and then make sure it's edited properly and you have your ass covered and you're not saying f-bombs every five minutes and you know i mean there's a lot of things you got to really edit (laughs) so um i i watched the demon video and right when you said the horsepower i was gonna call you out on it and then it then it popped up in the text i was like oh somebody somebody caught the horsepower edit but that was funny though i saw it i laughed and it got caught uh but that's that's the beauty of it that's the beauty of i'm of, trying to cover my ass and you know, of, of doing here, this here's the point too a lot of these guys like keeping information that's incorrect in there to create a stir and to create a conversation and to have people, but I can't do that. I don't like doing that. First of all, it drives me flipping nuts. Second of all, I know it's not true. And when I go back and look at it, I feel like the biggest imbecile in the world. But then again, when I ask them, I'm like, you know, here's, here's the way I feel about it. I see them sit there and smile and I go, I'm asking the wrong guy, right? Because they're a new, that's a new generation that look at things completely differently than we do, right? I want to be factually correct at everything I say, but if I fuck up and it's funny, then they <laughs> want to keep it in there, right? So a 440, 426, whatever the fuck. People think that I don't know my my Dodge product. They're crazy, man. So, <laughs> well, listen, I, that's... At the end of the day, it's laughable. It's funny, but, you know, you just got to cover your... Um. All right, so for uh, today's show, we're just going to get into a few things, and then we're going to uh, throw to the Gordon Murray interview that uh, I got to do with Adam Carolla uh, from Monterey Car Week. Uh, well, I, 
We mentioned it before. We were a little concerned about the audio. It's there. It's fine. At some point, halfway or so through the conversation, you hear a Gordon Murray automotive T50 fire up an idol oh, in the background. Uh, and and I thought it was going to be too loud because uh, it seemed loud from where we were, but it's it's fine. Look, it's it's a it's a recording at a racetrack. There's going to be noise, but the he's a, started up. What do you apologize yeah. about? Uh, and but you know, I've said this before. Uh, Gordon Murray's a fascinating man. I enjoyed talking with him. Um, so we have that interview that'll be coming up uh, in in a few minutes. Um, last week on our way out of the show, and honestly, I don't even remember if we did it on the air or off the air, but we were talking about the end of the Ram TRX, which we were, knew we were coming, but we didn't quite have the information yet. Uh, before we get into this, how can yeah. I time we talk about Ford is a positive story and now today we're going to talk a little bit I saw the the, the info you know pre-podcast we're going to talk about the TRX not having the horsepower bump that I proclaimed that it was going to have and then the Charger is the most stolen vehicle <laughs> there's a few things oh, come on man <laughs> there's there's a there's a few things happening uh well if it makes you feel any better the Tesla Model 3 has been refreshed and uh, it's got a nice little facelift to it. And it's going to have a little bit more range and some new features and a little bit revised interior. And this is a big moneymaker for them. Uh, it's hot selling vehicle. So if you like the Tesla, uh, you might want to wait for this refreshed version. Chances are they also dropped the price quite significantly recently. So uh, there's a lot of ups and downs uh, there. But there you go. There's some Tesla news for you. All right. TRX. TRX is going out with a final edition, a supercharged final. I don't know why they call it supercharged. It already was supercharged, but the TRX final edition. Um, there's no change in in the horsepower. Um, there's a couple of new colors uh, available and a nice little, not a horsepower bump, but a price bump. So a nice little price bump. Yeah. Nice little uh, price bump. Um it's an understatement. And I mean, I'm I don't know, I'm pissed. I, I'm pissed. I, I heard from the horse's mouth it was gonna have a horsepower bump. And to see again that they're kind of failing in delivering that and they're boosting the price, quite obviously, because it's the final edition. And and they're they're equipping it with that with the level two equipment group. So it's gonna come basically standard with that, which was an eleven thousand dollar package. So it's it's one hundred and sixteen thousand five hundred and thirty five dollars. Um, uh, I think. Let me get that right. So one hundred and sixteen thousand was the TRX with the level two group. This uh, uh, after the the destination charge, you're at one hundred nineteen thousand six twenty. So you're basically at one hundred twenty thousand uh, dollars. Now the. Ford Raptor R, I think, is one hundred and ten thousand. So there's about a ten thousand dollar difference here. Uh, but again, I, I don't know if it's apples to apples as far as the, how it's equipped. Um, but this final edition Ram is only making four thousand of them worldwide. Uh, ordering books will open in October, and then uh, production ends in December. So they'll all be built by the end of. December. Uh, you still get the 702 horsepower, 650 pound feet of torque. 
Um, there are a couple of new choices. Delmonico Red, Harvest Sunrise, and Night Edge Blue. No idea what those look like, but sound interesting. Hydro Blue is dropped from the color chart because they've got Night Edge Blue. And I don't, again, I don't know exactly how different they're going to be. Um, there are the beadlock capable wheels in the satin titanium. Uh, they got different decals for the hood and the bed. If you want those. Um, uh, anyway, it, it, it looks cool. It's kind of what you'd expect. Final edition 4,000 being made. If you want one, you can go in pretty soon and get your order in, or maybe just start calling the dealers now and get on the list. Uh, you've got enough TRXs. Don't don't get another one. <laughs> I was going to trade my my last one in and get this new one if there was a horsepower. Right. So you have a first edition and the last edition. That was the the plan. Plan, but then the plan wouldn't be very feasible because then I'd feel like shit driving either one of them. So I have to <laughs> buy another one. So it doesn't make it. I'm not. Right. So the collectability you're saying get the first edition get the last edition but there's a collectability but the first edition you got you drove for a little bit and then you were like um i'm gonna keep this one more collectible and then you got the next one so you can play around with it modify it do some stuff to it so it seems like that's gonna be the most fun but there's gonna be other stuff you're gonna set your sights on so let's just give it give it a, give it a give it a beat that's just my thought it's just my thought give it a Give it a beat. Um, in other news, <laughs> uh, yes, as you mentioned, the uh, the uh, the Highway Lost Data Institute. There's ways you can look at this, right? Hey, it's very popular. It is very popular. Also, it it's the number one car in a movie franchise where there's a lot of like, I don't know, car thefts and 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 ridiculous things shooting cars into space like uh what we're talking about is the dodge charger was ranked number one car stolen and not just the charger itself the hellcat they're going big thieves are like if i'm going i'm going big uh and it's by such a wildly large margin which is insane so the 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 top three most stolen vehicles right now is dodge charger srt hellcat Dodge Charger Hemi, and for some reason, Infinity Q50. And even the statistics on it are like, we don't know why the Infinity Q50. I mean, cool car, I get it, but those are the top three. And then number four, by the way, is Dodge Challenger. But Dodge Challenger number four, 766 cars. Infinity, 878 cars. Ch Charger Hemi jumps to 2,197 and then Hellcat jumps to 6,128. The difference between an Infinity Q50 being stolen and a Charger Hellcat, 878 to 6,128. People are stealing a lot of Hellcats. Also, where are Dodge, these things being parked? I think Dodge did it on purpose to double the driver experience of each vehicle. At least. I, it just, I, I don't know what's going on here. Like, I listen, I'm not saying it's the most stealable. I think any competent thief that wants to take a car has figured out how to take a car, right? Well, if you're, if you're, others, 
Yes. Now, so you could look at it this way. You could look at it, maybe it's how easy is it to steal? And then you could look at it as what is the most wanted car? Well, we need right? a, we need a thief on car That's right. So that anyway, can... the least stolen cars are Tesla Model 3 all-wheel drive, Tesla Model Y all-wheel drive, and then Volvo XC90 all-wheel drive, and then GMC Arcadia all-wheel drive. And we're talking about three, numbers like three, six, and seven. Now, we just don't know how to steal an electric car. Uh, maybe, maybe you don't know how to steal an electric car. Maybe now I say Tesla Model Three all-wheel drive because, like, whatever, eight on the list, it's a Tesla Model Three that's not all-wheel drive. Um, but if I had to guess, I would say parting out the car is some value. I don't know if it's the only value or the real value here, but there is value. Parting out a Tesla Model 3 seems far more complicated, and there's probably not a lot of desire in the aftermarket. There's probably some few things you can strip from that car, wheels, front and rear bumper clips, glass, door handles, things that have gotten damaged and and body shops want to buy it cheap without buying it from Tesla, but a charger. I mean, you've got the wheel and tire package that's desirable, the wings, the splitters, the you know the the seats, uh, the the engine, the supercharger, the big brakes. There's so many pieces that There's can be sellable. Modified, right? Yeah, right, right. You know, like you you can go buy Big Bear brakes or Willwood or you know you know Brembo brakes or something, or you could probably creep around on Craigslist and find Hellcat brake package, right? And like, and whatever the story is, oh, it's a takeoff part. You know, I upgraded or you know we took like, it off the car. Well, right? we 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 know where you got it. You got it from the one of six thousand one hundred twenty eight <laughs> or whatever vehicles that are being sold. I I think that's a uh, a frequency number, not necessarily an average number, but <laughs> um, anyway, just kind of kind of interesting. So, uh, listen, if you're shopping around for takeoff parts from a Hellcat, chances are those parts are stolen. <laughs> um, okay, so I. I think what we're going to do is we're just going to go ahead and just uh, jump over to the uh, Gordon Murray interview. Um, so why don't we throw to that and then we'll wrap things up. So before any further ado, here we go. Let's listen to Gordon Murray. All right. We're here at Laguna Seca Raceway with Gordon Murray and Gordon Murray Automotive. You got uh, you got all the cars out front, the T50, which we got a chance to sit down last year at the Quail and talk a little bit about the T50 and the T33, but now T33 Spider and a, a track car, race car. Is it? Yeah, track car, yeah. yeah. The T50S is, a, is a, just a track-only car, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's an impressive piece. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, maybe we get into the T33 Spider a little bit first on kind of, you know, sort of how that came to be when, and, and the changes maybe needed to be made to, to make it a Spider, or was it always a Spider? <laughs> well, it's an interesting question because when we, when we launched the business, we, we promised people that we wouldn't do any more than 100 of any one model or variant. 
but we also promised people we did we wouldn't do the automotive tr trick of just regurgitating the same chassis with a different body on it so 50 was our halo car as promised 100 cars only and the next platform we always said would do three variants but never more than 100 of any one of those variants and the next platform was t33 so um, we knew it was always going to be a coupe and then a spider and the third variant we think is going to be more hardcore s which we'll announce next year sometime but I don't normally like spiders uh, because <laughs> being a vehicle engineer and a vehicle designer, you lose, uh, if you lose the torsional rigidity, you lose the base platform for transient handling. And I always like to protect that, of course, you know, to make sure uh, the car handles properly. So what we did with 33 is we designed the spider first, even though we announced the coup. Uh, we actually designed the spider, so we hit our minimum torsional target for vehicle dynamics with the spider and therefore the, whatever the coupe has on top of that is just a bonus so I can put my hand in my heart and say we're going to protect the the vehicle dynamics with the spider yeah and to take on the spider project is it be because you thought it would be a great customer car or or because you wanted the challenge of creating a a spider with the parameters that would be a Gordon Murray parameter it's actually a little bit of both, funny enough. From a pure business point of view, building a brand new platform for just 100 cars means that the unit price of each car is going to be pretty high, like T50, for example. And we wanted the car at a lower price point from T50. And the way to do that, of course, is to do um, a higher number off the same platform. So that was half of it, if you like, was, was a business decision. But the other half was, I've always thought of doing a spider that actually handles and doesn't have scuttle shake and, and all those other nasty things you get when you when you lose torsional rigidity. So some of it was actually a challenge. Yeah. Let's talk philosophy because I, th I think it's just a really good era for people who want to create design and automobiles and you know I graduated high school in 1982 there wasn't a car I wanted in 1982 i couldn't afford anything so it was academic but you know the corvette was a pile of junk the 911 was sort of okay ferrari was n not moving too well it you know in the future looked bleak like it looked like well more regulations less fuel yeah. slower cars more safety more plastic more junk you know and it's sort of like was like this move from 60s, you know, mid 60s, late 60s, with all these iconic automobiles, for, you know, uh, American and and abroad. You know, American had the muscle. You know, Euro had Europeans had all their all their great offerings as well. And then we just started this sort of downhill slide. And I look around now and I see companies like your own, but I also see man, many other sort of companies, independent. You know, not big three, not big Japanese, not big anything. And there's so many offerings and they're so good and uh you know a, a mini cooper s could whoop up on a ferrari 308 at a, at a day out at laguna we're here at laguna now there's no doubt that magnum pi's car could not hang with a twenty-three thousand dollar mini cooper s on on this track and i i don't know how it went from the sort of dog days you know oh my god a future without cars to to this, like a future of 
the most incredible automobiles, but you lived through all the sort of hills and valleys, right? No, I absolutely agree, and, and, and the time, I agree with the timing too, and really that's how the F1 was born, because um, we were looking for something to, um, to kick off McLaren Automotive. I mean, I walked in, in 1990, I walked into an empty building with one other commercial director, literally an empty concrete building, and I was given a free hand to start the company, find a team, and decide what our first car would be. So I drove all the latest offerings. And at that time, if you remember, around 89, 90, we had the F40, mm -hmm. which was actually, of the bunch, the most fun to drive. Yeah. And actually, the only turbo car I've ever driven where the turbo doesn't completely wreck the experience. We had the 959 Porsche, we had the Jaguar XJ220, and we had the Bugatti EB110. And those were the cars I, I drove. I also drove some of the older supercars, like I had a Countach for a week, although I only drove that one day because I couldn't see out of it. Um, and at the end of it, I thought, you know what? None of these cars hit my engineering level, for example. None of them were a pure driving experience. They all had foibles that weren't just fun foibles. They were really right. bad things like offset pedals, you know, A-pillar obscuration, over-shoulder, three-quarter view, something that would stop you driving the car quickly or having fun. So it was then I thought, right, let's start at the top. Why don't we just, rather than pick a price bracket, well, I went back to the other shareholder and said, right, the first car is going to be this. It's going to be the very best car I can design for the driver and the very best car I can design from an engineering and a materials point of view. And I wrote down, it wasn't a list of things I wanted, I wrote down from my driving experience, I drove them all on the track and on the road, I wrote down all the bad Where things. Where were you? What track were you on? I was on the track over towards Wales, Pembury, I think it was. Pembury, yeah. And then I drove them all on the road, and I wrote down all the bad stuff. Life's really funny, you know, you, you learn, not just in cars, but you learn much more from your mistakes and you do from nobody ever says thank you totally when you do th when you do something right you know yeah. so i wrote down you know pedal terrible pedal offsets the eb110 was just had the most ridiculous motor i've ever driven you know below 55 it felt like a 1.3 vw golf you know it just had oh, nothing four turbos on that no, car, nothing right? at all yeah. yeah and and you know the quality of the engineering and the Jag 220, once again, too, was just the engine was such a letdown, and it was a monster car with no space, no luggage space, you couldn't see out of it. And I wrote down all the bad things, and then I thought, right, let's get rid of those. Uh, design a car that doesn't have any of those bad things, and then enhance the good stuff. So the cars, the car that did have a good throttle response, let's make it better, you know. Let's bring the level of engineering up to a completely new level. And I had, I literally had carte blanche. I had a very small budget for design, tooling, and development, but I had no budget on the cost of the car, and that was key. And out of that came the F1. And I think, I like to think, but you guys probably are better judges than me, I like to think that was the beginning of the end for the downward slide. Yeah. So when the F1 came out, it really did set, sounds really big-headed when I said <laughs> it did set new standards, you know. Um, and it, because it got rid of all those foibles, I think people then stood up and went, whoa, okay, you know, Porsche did the Carrera GT. Ferrari's response to the F1, if you remember, was the F50. 
Sure. And those cars are quite engaging, you know, and, and on, on an upward, I would say, run, not a downward. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. Yeah. I always, I, I used to box a lot, and I always think about the heavyweight division, and they had their salad days with Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier and all these, these names, mm. and then they had these down years in mm -hmm. the 80s where it's a bunch of guys you'd never heard of mm -hmm. that are not Muhammad Ali yeah. and Joe Frazier and George Foreman and all these things. So th there's a kind of an ebb and a flow yeah. that's natural to everything, and it's it's heavyweight division, it's architecture, mm -hmm. it's automobile design. You yep. know, the, it, it, it's not just a hockey stick up to the moon it's like some bad years some lean years yeah, movies yeah. are that way art is that way but it does it, sometimes it takes a fighter uh like mike tyson mm. to rescue like something like the yeah. f1 like Gordon with the f1. 30 years later yeah. they're catching up with the f1 i feel like yeah but then it's actually started to go. You had one of your once again. You're absolutely spot on. You had we had one of the downturns again because what happened is, of course, we had the highest specific output. We had the highest revs, the most power, the fastest car. Blah blah blah. It wasn't meant to be fast. It just happened to go quickly. Um, top speed, and then to to chase that. Apart from the Carrera GT, which had that lovely NA V10, um, to chase that, people started adding turbos because they couldn't make an NA engine that was more powerful and in my opinion we then had one of your downward spirals again because then people started focusing on power and 0 to 60 and lap times and they lost the purity again of the driving experience and 30 years fast forward 30 years I'm 2017 I'm celebrating 50 years of car design and we had, a, we had a lovely exhibition. We had very um, nice people who lent me cars from all around the world. We had 42 of my cars in one building, and it was wonderful. But then my team said, you need to do a bit more than that for 50 years. You know, why don't you do another supercar? And I thought, well, you know, the F1's still regarded by most people as a pretty good motor car. And why if should I? you look I? at the auction prices, you'll... <laughs> <laughs> who, would, who would have thought? Oh, <laughs> my God. You should have uh, stashed but, away a couple of those for yourself. So, so we... Uh, well, I had one for 20-odd years. But, um, and then I, I looked around and I thought, yeah, you know, the Carrera GT is a nice car, but it's, it's got its issues and there's no, there's no space for luggage. So, you know, the F50 solidly mounted engine, you know, all the fillings fall out your teeth. And... Nobody's really done another, in 30 years, nobody's really done another F1. So why do we do that? Because after 15 years, it would have been pointless because there wasn't enough advancement in engines and materials and technologies to make a significantly better car than the F1 15 years after. But 30 years after, absolutely. You know, not just materials, but the technologies that are around now. So. That was the decision point where we went, righto, well, nobody else has done it, so let's make another F1. And that's exactly what T50 is. How much of it is engine management versus materials, computing power, uh, you know, pre-detonation No, it's all stuff. materials. Oh, it's all materials? It's all materials. The engine management is just how you make everything, every, all the pieces of the jigsaw work as a cohesive piece of, um, of driving. But it's not that. It's, uh, it's I mean, Cosworth. Metallurgy? I mean, absolutely. Oh, oh, absolutely, oh, yes. Wow, Cosworth surprised. are just, well, you look at the next highest roving engine after, we, we, our hard stop's 12,400. Honda 2000. So we've got, <laughs> we've got, 
you know, the engine is, is the lightest, lowest center of gravity, fastest revving, so it's, it's highest specific output. Um, it's, it just breaks every single record, but not, not by a little bit, by a mile. So you know? you're saying it's the, it's the connecting rods, it's the crank, it's the, the piston valves, materials, the valves, the, 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 the physical valves. metal. Absolutely. Oh, because I figured we went to space in the 60s and we had the Blackbird, you know, SR-71, like we had titanium. And but, but surely you, you have to ask yourself why everybody else stops at 9, 5, or 10. Right. And so it's not about management. It's not about not computing at all. power. Not at all. Interesting. Nothing at all. No, it's all about uh, knowledge, background knowledge, and uh, materials, and systems, actually, as well. The systems and and the way people get around mechanical problems, and that's just knowledge, and Cosworth have that in bucket Are you, are you running loads. a belt or a chain on the uh, cams? Oh no, a chain you can't go more than 10,000. Yeah, I was gonna say. On a big engine, there's no way, unless you've got a motorbike engine where the chain's tiny, uh, there's no way you can go Is more it, than are 10. Are you running gears? All gear driven. There's not oh, a there's not okay. a belt or a chain that can do on the motor car. Ten. But on this car, what? Most people strip off the alternator, the starter motor and stuff to make the show engine look good. The engine you can see outside is everything. So everything is gear? Yeah. Uh, we designed our own um, integrated starter generator, 48 volt, and that wow. does the work right. of three alternators, uh, the starter motor, and uh, the, the, it makes 48 volts to drive the air conditioning compressor what? as well. So we have no belts on the engine. What kind of compression are you running? Um, the roadcast 14 to 1. And the S is 15 to 1. Holy shit, 15 to 1. You start getting Why the point well turbocharger. <laughs> wow. When, when you put together the plan for, for T50, uh, and I, again, maybe T33 and T50 were all sort of part of the plan from the beginning. And you, do you approach someone like Cosworth and say, this is what I want to do, can you guys do it? Or did you sort of have more of an idea of what needed to be built and put it out to multiple engine manufacturers and said, who can do it? Yeah, I mean, I started life as an engine designer. So I, I did engine design at college and, I, and I've designed several engines and gearboxes. And uh, so I knew exactly what I wanted. And I looked around and we actually, we had three people to consider, but to be really honest, Cosworth already had the job because yeah. they are just so far ahead of any other engine manufacturer in the world for technology and, and solving high revving engine problems. Yeah. Well, Adam is just drooling over that Cosworth Vega over there in the, in the corner, <laughs> kind of tucked behind Chip Connors area. Well, I don't know if you're like me, but I, Okay, I, I think you are. I think I would safely say, you know, all the horsepower and the Nürburgring lap time and torque and everything. I just say, you know, everyone knows, you know, race the Datsun 510 around this track. People always go, how fast are you going? I go, it's not really about how fast. You're flying on a Southwest flight, you're going 500 miles an hour. It's not that. It's it's the, the sort of the experience. And I was just thought the naturally aspirated engine and the challenge of the naturally aspirated engine versus just bolting a big supercharger and a belt on top was a much more nuanced sort of experience and it and you could get the same horsepower from a small block with a supercharger on top and put some fuel added you know octane boost in it or something but it was the finesse 
of like wringing that horsepower, you know, out of that engine that made it interesting that's to it. me. That's it in a nutshell. Yep. Oh, good. I'm back. There you go. Good. <laughs> Nailed it. But now you've got to wrap that power plant in a car. And as you were saying, like the benchmark was set high with with F1, but for you to do a successor to F1, the benchmark needs to be more than everybody else's benchmark, right? So sort of a sort of an unfair challenge. (laughs) What it is, yeah. Try and beat yourself. Um, The the F1 is is pretty well known for its packaging, of course. You know, it's the it's the footprint like this. It's the footprint of a Porsche Boxster, and you've got three grown-ups in it and a V12 engine. 85 liters of fuel and four suitcases so that's a packaging challenge so I had to be better with this car and we have got it's got a slightly bigger cockpit than the F1 it has a slightly bigger luggage compartment than the the F1 and it's really no bigger what's a few millimeters bigger on the outside but that's that's about it the other thing was the weight you know the F1 was 1140 I think kilos and I was desperate when I did the F1 to get under a thousand kilos. I couldn't get carbon brakes to work in those days. It was too early um, on the road. Um, so we lost quite a few kilos there. We ended up at about 1140, something like that, I think it was. So this one, I was absolutely determined to be to be the first supercar under a thousand kilos. And it is just under a thousand. And the S is actually 890. Is it, is it 23, 22, 2300 pounds? You know, U.S. Uh, the thousand uh, kilos. Yeah, it's two point two pounds. What is um, so? You know, we just walk the quail. We walk every everywhere we can. Look at every car we can. We wa- we saw everything at the quail, and at the very end, we saw a Lamborghini Miura SV. And I was like, that's still the best looking car. And we've seen every offering yeah. of every modern, every old, every vintage. The Bizzarini. 5300 I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's pretty nice. But that that Lamborghini Miura SV, I, we all we all just walked around and yeah. went, that's the best looking car ever made. Um, but for you, design wise, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll front load it by saying the Maserati, or sorry, the Bizzarini 5300 is pretty beautiful, and the uh, the SV Miura. What what is your kind of holy grail in the just aesthetics? Well, actually, department? all you've got to do is look at T33, because um, when you do the McLaren F1 or T50 with a central driving position, the pedal line is opposite the front axis on the wheel axis, so it's actually around 10 inches further forward than a conventional left or right-hand drive car, where you've got to miss the wheel on lock with your pedal box. And that means the proportions of a, of a 50 or an F1 are more spaceship than motor car. It's very forward cabin. Mm-hmm. And you cannot do a traditional, I grew up in the 60s, I love, I'll come back to which cars influenced me in the 60s, Moore is one of them. Um, you can't do that proportion with a central driving position. And I only just finished the F1 and I thought if ever I get a chance to do another two-seater supercar, Mm-hmm. I will use all the, my influences from the 60s. My car collection is nothing like a typical car collection. There's no big Aston Martins and Lamborghinis and stuff in there. It's all tiny little Italian cars, beautifully proportioned, Avalds and a lot of Zagato and then SZs and things like that. Um, so the influences for 33 were the Mura. There's a position you can stand and look over the front bonnet and it is pretty much Mura. Uh, the 904 Porsche, if you look at the back, mm-hmm. 
the Alfa Romeo 33 Stradale, which I think is the prettiest car ever made, and the second prettiest car, the 206 SP Dino. Not not the road car, I don't like that, but the racing car. All right. Uh, and those are all mixed in there, and I just got a chance to pour out all my classic um, car proportions, but not retro in any way, shape, or form, in a modern shape, you know. And you can't stand there and go, oh, it looks like a 33 Stradale or whatever, it's a T33, but they're all in there, I promise you. And that all comes from those beautifully proportioned cars. We were determined not to follow the current supercar trend, where everybody's trying to make the next car more outrageous with more holes and ducts and fins and yeah, uh, we we just don't we don't care you know we don't care about zero to sixty we don't care about lap times we don't care about making uh, horsepower claims or outrageous styling everything is about the ownership model and the driving experience full stop we we don't even measure the zero to sixty the only reason I calculated the top speeds is to work out six gear ratio. Well, I mean, we're living in an era where an electric car for under 60 grand could beat most supercars historically zero to 60. So why are we even competing in that arena anymore? And nobody can drive these cars to their full capability anyway. So it's it's obviously ridiculous. Uh, one car that we forgot about is a car that Matt and I always talk about and I obsess about, I and I love you know. that car, <laughs> but we're going to put you to the test because it's a deep cut, this car. The T... It's, a, it's an ATS, ATS 2500 GT. Oh, yes. ATS 2500. I'm yeah. like, I love Beautiful that car. car. I Beautiful. nearly bought one of those. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> I missed it. It was designed by a very dear friend of mine, Carlo Chiti. I uh, worked with Carlo Chiti for three and a half years at Alfa Romeo when we ran the flat 12 uh, engine in Formula 1. Oh, wow. And he's a real, well, he was a real character, you know, typical Italian character. Had to learn Italian in a month to go and work down there. And, um, yeah, I love that car. It's That's, so beautiful, you know, isn't it's, it? It's, it's a very pretty car. There was one up... Um, There's one on the lawn about last a year. year. About a year ago, or maybe a little more. And I, I just didn't quite have the cash at the time, but it went for more than I, I thought, you know. Um, I love it, yeah. But that's, that's typical of the sort of car I'm talking about. If you yeah, saw, if I could walk around my car collection with you guys, it's all those sort of cars. Right. You know, yeah. all of them. Yeah. SZ, SZ, Alfa Romeo, um, Di Tommaso Vallelunga, Porsche 550, um, you Finesse know. Finesse cars. I mean, that car's a V8 that's a 2.5. Mm. You know, what I mean, when when you there's nothing here. I mean, nothing in the American yeah. department under five liters. Uh, it's, V8, it's right? lovely. Yeah, the two cars when I first when they first came out, one was that, and I thought, wow, one day, and the other one was the Vallelunga when I first saw the Vallelunga. You know, they only made 54 of them, and I've managed to get a Vallelunga, so I've got one of them anyway. What is that car? It's a Dietmar. It's the first car Dietmarso made. Oh, and he really? took it to gear. He made five aluminium prototypes with an Italian stylist. Um, Try to sell it to Ford because it uses a Ford engine. It's mid- right. mid-rear engine. Backbone chassis before the Lotus Europa for a wow. rear engine car, hmm. and uh, which went completely wrong with the, de- with the uh, Mangusta, of course. Uh, and uh, he took it to Ford. They didn't want to make it. So he then went to Gear, and Gear said, we'll build it for you. And there was a young designer who had just started working for Gear, Giugiaro. And that's a, he took the original design, didn't change it much, he just finessed it, and it's just the most beautiful little car. 
Oh, we gotta look that yeah, one up. Yeah, now I gotta look that one up. Yeah. Because, I'm I mean, glad I, you knew the 2500 because nobody knows that car. Yeah. And, and, it, it, and it took us a minute to kind of like remember what it was because we saw it was like on the Pebble Beach poster a few years ago, and then it was one on the lawn last year. And we just never, it was like, what is the cool car that we saw? It was years ago, and it's kind of, it's so beautiful. If I see another one now, I'm going to nail it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're expensive now. I mean, they didn't make any of those cars, no, did they? No, not many at all. No. I think less than the Ballalunga, actually. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, Gordon, well, thank you so much. So we're going to let you get back to it. But um, uh, always a pleasure, and uh, congratulations on uh, the new cars that you got debuted. Uh, it sounds like you guys are going to have some fun this weekend. Are you going to be driving, or you just keep getting Dario to go out there? <laughs> oh, no, I've got Dario. I can relax. <laughs> and he's quicker than me. <laughs> and we were we were just talking to Marino uh, yesterday oh, yeah. as he's way. Exactly yeah, guys, yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah. we all uh, sat at, at Goodwood so together. Dario is part of the family. You know, he really. The, the great thing about Dario is, you know, we, we do these videos to keep the customers up to speed with where we are on all the car designs is that he so believes in the product, you know, um, that he's, there's, none of those videos are scripted. You know, we just, we just go, well, what are we gonna talk about? Are we gonna talk about aerodynamics? And off we go, you know? <laughs> he just believes in the car. I, I've seen some of the videos and they actually are pretty special because you guys are walking through and even talking about the car and you just see Dario's face. He's just in awe the whole time. And he's like, Ooh, what about this? What about this? And you know, he knows the answers, right? Cause you've talked about it, but he just wants to hear it from you. He, he's waiting to tell it on camera and he's so great that way. So I'm glad you guys are working together. It's, it's a great uh, partnership. Yeah. He's a great guy. Lovely. I mean, they're all, the Frankies are super, they're just their mom raised them right or something. I don't know what it is. They're good yeah. dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thanks, Gordon. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to CarCast. Uh, uh, just a reminder: you can follow us uh, on social media. Um, I'm at Moderator, and uh, Drink Bravaco is the uh, is the website for our for our beverage company. The hard seltzers are great. People seem to be liking them. Um, we're at Drink Bravago on social media. We're at drinkbravago.com and uh, Goldberg 95 and Goldberg's Garage. Go to YouTube, subscribe. We appreciate that. We're looking for some fun stuff. And uh, I don't know. Are we missing anything else? I think we got it all covered. We're going we to do some off the cuff Bravago advertising. We're, we're going to. We are. The more I drink it, the better the commercials come out to be. So, uh, we're going to come up with some good stuff for that as well. So uh, thanks, guys. Until next time, keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit carcastshow.com.